passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to our UFC 258 post show. I'm John Pollock. If it's past one in the morning and we're going live, that means the other person joining me is the Lord of the Cord, Phil Chair Talk. Hello, Phil. I'm okay, but it appears like uh, our show's been invaded by somebody. G- Gina, get out of here. Uh, we we don't want you. Why don't you go? Why don't you go hang out with uh, Ben Shapiro? Why don't you? God, gee, she's gotten so rude. Don't you? I think? didn't know in these past three weeks you became a uh, a comedian. <laughs> well, you know, you try, you try, you try to lighten up uh, uh, these shows. Try to make fun uh, of what you can with it. Uh, it's great to be here, John. It's great to be here at one o'clock after a great uh, main event. Right before we started going live, Phil made sure that I was watching the screen, and I said yes, yes, of course. And then, of course, when we started the show, I went to go reference my notes. So when you welcomed in our unexpected guest. Took me a second there to piece it all together here as we had a brief cameo. That that's okay. You know, I, I had a feeling it might fall flat. You did warn me. Yeah, that's okay. That's that's all right. This isn't a comedy show. We're not here to, to make jokes. We're here to talk about fights. We're here to be very, very serious as always. What was the <laughs> volume like tonight, uh, Phil? This was not two fifty seven, but um, you know, a card that let, let's be honest, this was not one that I think people were uh, checking their watch every hour to count down until UFC two fifty eight. But what was the uh, what was your gauge of the interest tonight? Um, it it wasn't the most uh, energetic audience tonight. It didn't seem like this event had a ton of buzz. Um, for hardcore fans, uh, we were excited to see uh, Kamaru Usman. I mean, he's he's looked so tremendous, and and Gilbert Burns as well. He's he's looked uh, great, earning this uh, title fight tonight. Uh, but in terms of just the general interest, it really wasn't that high. Even amongst a lot of the hardcore fans, they just sort of felt uh, lukewarm on this card. I don't know if that's because they've been burned out from maybe the Connor fight or just it didn't have the compelling matchups of some previous events. I would say the UFC has put together a lot of big title fights for these first couple of months. Uh, but this one, granted, I was very interested in the main event, but this was definitely the show that... Uh, if, if you're if you're skipping a UFC pay-per-view, this is the one you're skipping and was not helped by the fact that this week there there was a point where we had, I think, four fights on the early prelims. Uh, by the end of the week, they were down to one on the early prelims and casualties this week included uh, Jimmy Rivera and Pedro Munoz that I think would have been a really exciting fight. Uh, yesterday, they lost uh, Bobby Green and Jim Miller after Bobby Green apparently collapsed backstage after the weigh-ins. And then there was a Julian Robertson-Miranda Maverick uh, flyweight fight uh, that got pulled today 
due to a non-COVID related illness. So this card uh, of the fights it lost, they were all cause some notable fights on this card that uh, didn't help matters. Yeah, definitely uh, exciting fights, fights that uh, would have been good on television as well uh, that could have maybe hopefully, you know, drawn some interest into uh, the main card. But really, they weren't the types of fights that were going to be, uh, you know, moving the needle here. It was it was largely centered around the main event. Uh, Kamaru, who has been exposed previously with the Colby fight and the Masvidal fight, and Gilbert Burns, who, while being on a great run, is still a bit of an unknown to uh, a lot of the casual audience. Yes. So we also... Let's not forget the biggest star of tonight's broadcast, those 8K cameras, <laughs> Phil. I, I feel like you can take what I said from the last pay-per-view about the 3D graphics and how the UFC just does these things sort of like half-assed and not right. Like it's felt like they watched the Super Bowl, saw a bunch of fancy cameras, and then we're like, let's try that. And like... They didn't think about the environment or like overkill. It, it, it was just, it was too much. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see it again. Oh, I, I think we'll definitely see them again. I, th- I, I feel Not like at with, that with those, yeah. I feel with those shots because they've, they've been using these in WWE as well. And, you know, when you're coming down and doing the entrance, like it kind of works. I, I did feel it was kind of overdone by the end of tonight's broadcast. Like they just, it was like, we got a brand new toy and we are going to play it to death. Uh, and that was the AK cameras tonight. But I will say this. I've also been a critic of how the UFC, it's typically a very static production from show to show. And I will say over the last number of years, they have tried to introduce a lot of different elements. So anything that does try to get out of the usual, like if you go back 10 years ago to a UFC card and just watch the production elements of it, it doesn't greatly change year to year. You don't see like these dramatic changes. So when they do experiment with other stuff, I feel like a hypocrite uh, complaining about it. It was just, you know, new technology to play around with. And hopefully it's like when there is a crowd there, maybe, maybe it will be more impactful. I think that's, that's really it. I think once you have a crowd there and you have that long entrance and there's a lot of flash uh, flashes going off and like, uh, you know, some glitter and all that. I think it could look really awesome. But even then, you still want to use it sparingly. You don't need to use it between yes. every round. And like in some situations, one fighter in the intro would get the fancy camera and then the other person would get the regular camera. So it's like, who who are you? What are you saying about these guys? Imagine the Just Bleed guy in 8K. <laughs> I'm well, imagining it uh, and in 16K. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just letting that image uh, uh, settle in with you. So it was interesting, the promotion for this main event with Kamaru Usman and Gilbert Burns. The backstory, of course, is that the two uh, were training together uh, under Henry Hooft uh, at the Sanford Training Center down in Florida. And then these two were supposed to fight all the way back in, last July after Burns had beat Tyron Woodley. This was going to be the first pay-per-view on Fight Island. But then uh, Gilbert Burns uh, was out of that card. Then they tried to reschedule it for December. Usman had to pull out of that one. So this was our third go-around. And from from the get-go of these two teammates being scheduled to fight one another, Kamaru Usman had uprooted himself and gone to Colorado to train under Trevor Whitman. And then this week, 
Uh, I did hear an interview with, with Henry Hooft, which is a very good interview on uh, John McCarthy and Josh Thompson's podcast. But Henry Hooft is very much trying to downplay, you know, the UFC is trying to sell this drama and leaving the gym. It really is. There wasn't really this grudge or anything like that. It was just they're fighting for the title and they understood. And I will say from the 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 stare down at the weigh-ins on Friday and everything about this main event, there definitely appeared to be some very legitimate animosity between these two, which I thought was uh, compelling stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, it it seemed like there was some animosity there, but sort of when Kamaru uh, um, uh, explained it in the post-fight speech that he gave, uh, in, it just sort of sounded like it was just about, you know, competition. Um, there was never really any specific personal details. Uh, I think there was some, you know, there's, it's personal because they trained together so long and, and certainly leaving the gym and going to a new gym, uh, is a big deal. Uh, but it, it never seemed personal in this type of way that we, we've, we often see these fights. Not, not a per- like like this was hardly John Jones Rashad Evans, but I would not say this like if you listen to Henry Hooft, I mean he made it seem like this is just a simple, uh, you know, this is a business transaction. It's just uh, something simple. I think it was somewhere in the middle there. Yes, yeah, yeah. There's no way that two men can go in there and and, and fight each other, and, you know, for you know their dreams, and it just be a simple business transaction. So the. This turned into um, a really great fight right from the beginning. In the opening round, it's Gilbert Burns landing this huge right hand that stuns Usman. And he is definitely rocked from this shot. And it's it's Burns following up. He drilled him with this knee to the body uh, right down the middle. And then he threw this head kick. And Burns went to his back where he was going to be very comfortable. And we got uh, several minutes of Muhammad Ali versus Antonio Inoki where Gilbert Burns was kicking away at the legs of Usman, who was not going into those waters with Gilbert Burns at all. So a big round for Gilbert Burns. The second round, total role reversal, as it's Kamaru Usman landing an overhand right that stuns Burns, and Burns is wobbly, Usman is attacking him, and we got to see Usman's jabs and one of the key transitions in this uh, round was Usman all of a sudden changing to southpaw and probably confusing Burns a bit because suddenly he's getting jabbed with the right hand. So a big round for Usman uh, after after two. The third, Usman drops him with a jab and Burns is down. He's eating these shots. He tries to scramble, but Usman puts his back down onto the canvas and finishes Gilbert Burns with strikes. This was a... Uh, Totally worthy main event, super engaging fight. Um, I, I thought this was a great fight. Yeah, it, it was it was exciting right from the get go, like you said. And we saw a new dimension to the champion. Uh, I mean, when you go, when you hear about somebody going to a new camp so late in their career, uh, it's sort of hard to imagine what how much of a difference it can make. But clearly, there were uh, large changes. Uh, that Usman adopted and things he worked on, mainly that jab, which Trevor Whitman, I mean, in between rounds, he said, you're a champion because you're of your jab. You're a champion because of your, uh, your jab. Damn right. Yeah, this was, um, you know, Kamaru Usman, we did see him vulnerable in that first round. I mean, that was, 
Um, we, we haven't seen him, I, I think, in that much trouble. Like the Colby Covington fight was very um, competitive for five rounds. But I don't know if it was ever to the point that, I mean, Gilbert Burns looked like he had Usman totally rocked. Uh, but to his credit, Usman recovered and then took over from the second round onward. I think the the stance switch was very key. And I'm very interested to see what Kamaru Usman's roadmap is like after this fight. Do you look at this as I've only scratched the surface uh, training under someone like Trevor Whitman, or is he going to now go back to Florida? Will it be kind of a combination of the two? I think that part's kind of interesting because I think we got to see that after you know, he was preparing for a fight in July. So that would have meant, you know, several months prior to that, closing in on a year now that he's probably been working under Trevor Whitman. Does that relationship continue? Well, the impression that I got from an interview that I heard with him last year was that he's moved out there to Colorado. So um, that seems like it's a permanent type of thing. So uh, and I mean, if, if, if success is a measure of what you're going to do, you know, stick with what's working. I mean, clearly, uh, going to Trevor Whitman's has produced terrific results. Um, uh, regarding what you said about we haven't really seen him in this position. Yeah. Burns was throwing a lot of heat, whereas, uh, Colby never is really a power puncher. Uh, he was always throwing with volume, but the way that, uh, Burns, uh, landed was with a lot of power. And he landed even a few times after the big shot early. Um, but, you know, credit to Kamaru. He stayed composed after being rocked, uh, sat back on that jab and took the title. And, you know, sometimes <laughs> the fighters, the question they hate the most is immediately after a big win, they're asked, what's next? Well, Joe Rogan wasted no time. Like before Gilbert Burns is even off the canvas, Joe's like, who's who's next? Who's next for Kamaru Usman? And it is a great question because Leon Edwards seems to be the only guy left when you look at wins, wins over Burns, win over Covington, win over Masvidal. I would say Stephen Thompson is uh, a distance away from a title fight. Like these are like Kamaru Usman is not that far from clearing out a lot of these big contenders. You're looking at Leon Edwards, Michael Chiesa. And I think uh, unless uh, Kamzat Chimaev comes back and they just springboard him into that, like that, that's what we're talking about. Like a 15th ranked guy being in that conversation. Like Usman has pretty much dominated this top 10. Yeah, he absolutely has dominated. I think that is uh, the most uh, appropriate word for him. It's it's a word that he uses when he describes his mentality uh, in these fights. He doesn't want to win these fights. He doesn't want to finish these fights. He wants to dominate these fights for five rounds, skunk these guys, shut them out. And um, he's done that uh, throughout the entire division, and it doesn't look like there is anybody. I mean, there is Leon Roberts, who is he deserves a title shot. He, he's he's not going to get Leon Edwards. I always do that. Sorry, not the referee. Uh, that's right. Uh, and uh, he he uh, definitely deserves it. He's not going to get it. He wants to be on that March card. And yeah, they were trying to rush uh, Shemayev into a title fight already, um, so they can slow the roll on that. I mean. For Usman, though, like he's calling out uh, Masvidal. I don't know if you saw that in his post-fight interview. Uh, and it's like, I, I guess if he wants to make the most money, sure. Like, have, yeah, sure. That's, that's the logical person. Like, if you are the champion, like, who is going to 
bring you the most uh, value, uh, Moss Vidal would be that person. Um, they're talking about trying to put Edwards and Covington together. Uh, I don't see that fight being put together in a month on a month's notice. Uh, but if they can make that fight at some point, that would obviously produce a contender, whether it be the rematch with Covington or Edwards finally getting his title fight. Uh, but for Usman, if you're just looking pure uh, financial interests, uh, Masvidal is is the guy, and you at least have that story of Masvidal on a full camp. Even though I don't see a rematch going much different than the first. Oh, I agree. I don't. I don't see the rematch going much different. But it was a huge. You know, it was one of the biggest pay per views of the year in a huge year. And even if the don't match the numbers of the first one, it still would be a massive success. So, um, I don't know. I don't know if they'll do it. The UFC, even though sometimes when those money fights are there, the UFC does seem reluctant because there is an element of they don't want to go too far down that path of a guy not deserving it, unless it's like Connor or something who they'll give a title fight for no reason. We'll get to that uh, some some news items uh, at the end here, but uh, that was our main event. Uh, a solid, solid fight. Uh, I, I would definitely recommend checking out the fight if you missed it. Moving on, anything else to say about the main event before we move on? I, I'll say this: you know, up to this point, outside of the Covington fight, uh, Usman has sort of been maybe criticized. I mean, not really criticized, just like why doesn't he have more? Peel, he he's uh, he's a really charming guy, um, but he doesn't have the most exciting fighting style. This was a very exciting fight. It was a very exciting win, and he's added new uh, art, uh, new um, weapons to his arsenal. So um, it kind of feels like the sky is the limit on this guy. Like I don't know what the peak is on him, uh, and so it was really exciting. So if you if you missed it, I think you should go check it out. Yeah, I think Usman, he's just he's he's one of those champions that is very much going to depend on on the opponent. Um style-wise, I think he gets a bad rap because now that we've seen like that Covington fight that to me was a fight of the year contender and this fight that was excellent, uh I, I really don't think you can be that person that just uh, criticizes him uh for having um, you know, uh a heavy wrestling style. He has shown that diversification over the last year and a half that his striking is, I mean, he stayed on his feet the entire fight right up until the end. Yeah. It did seem like he was, uh, I, I don't know if concerned was the right word, but he was definitely avoiding even going anywhere near Burns's uh, uh, guard. Uh, he was happy to hit him and hit him with, there was a shot he hit him with, standing like a punch to the stomach hit him with two of them in the first round and one of them like actually forced gilbert burns to like try to get back up to his feet really quickly it was interesting i'd never seen that punch so effective macy barber made her return she had been out for the last year after suffering that loss to roxanne modafferi she suffered the knee injury during that fight uh, coming back here to fight Alexa Grasso, who came down to fly or came up rather to flyweight in her last fight. And in this fight, um, we got to see a, a, a very well-rounded game from Alexa Grasso early on. She was definitely the calmer of the two and to me was landing the cleaner strikes. 
in the second round, it was uh, Grosso just kind of going in and out and then blasting Barber uh, with a pair of left hands. And Barber eventually landed a kick to the body, took her down, but it was Grosso who got control of her arm and was threatening with submissions, uh, just going from one to the other. So I had Grasso up two rounds to none. And the third, uh, Macy Barber came alive by just uh, going all out, throwing wildly and connecting with several big strikes. Grasso was just trying to end her momentum by clinching with her. Uh, but this was a definite Macy Barber round. 29-28, all judges scoring it for Alexa Grasso. So a a loss for Macy Barber, but I guess a silver lining that she had a great third round. Yeah, it was, I mean, she was moving a lot. It was kind of erratic. It sort of reminded me a little Clay Guida-esque, but she was landing with power. I thought the first round was actually kind of close. I I was a little bit worried when the results were being read. Um, but ultimately, uh, the right person won. Grasso was really sharp here. Um, but, uh, Macy Barber, you know, all is not lost. Uh, she did have a good third round and I, I think there's still a lot of potential here. I was happy to see the, a decent quality level here in the flyweight division because it was, um, it just seemed like the gap between the top and, uh, the rest of the division was so high. So it's nice to see it get closer to that, you know. Yeah, he went Queen. from being like uh, miles apart to um, <laughs> less Kilometers? miles apart. Kilometers would be the difference. Like, yeah, yeah, maybe that's it. Um, yeah, that's the thing. Like, there is such a dominant champion on top that we. I mean, even if you want to, and I'm not comparing the two, but like when John Jones was your light heavyweight champion, at least over the last few years, like we have seen John Jones vulnerable, and there have been some razor close decisions that he has left that that fight with and with Valentina Shevchenko yes she had more trouble with Jennifer Maya than maybe we anticipated but my god I would say Alexa Grasso sure uh Macy Barber far from ready for Valentina Shevchenko and I would argue that no one should ever uh want to have a knee injury especially one that takes you out for a year but mm-hmm. if you if you imagine Macy Barber and I think we talked about it that night had she beat Roxanne Modafferi I think she would have been on the fast track to fight Valentina Shevchenko because they are so in need of challenges at this division with any kind of story attached to it. And this idea of Macy Barber becoming the youngest champion in UFC history, I could have seen her leapfrogging several other contenders at 125 pounds, and I do not see her ready for a title fight. I think that could do a a lot of harm for her growth to be thrown to the wolves like Valentina Shevchenko today. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with that. Uh, she wasn't ready for Valentina then. She's not ready for her now. Um, and she has a lot of, she has, there's a lot of holes in her game still. Uh, she is very young. Let's just slow the roll on her. I mean, she lost this fight. She's, she's barely in the top 10. Um, I mean, I don't know if she'll even be in the top 10 after this. So, so, but she's, she's a prospect. She's a work in progress. And and sort of the same thing with Grasso. When Grasso came into the UFC, there was a lot of hype behind her, right? And she faltered. And, you know, she's she's coming around again. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of hope for Barber, but uh, we have a lot of time. We can be patient. Kelvin Gastelum, who has been winless since 2018, but in that stretch, he has lost to Israel Adesanya, Darren Till and Jack Hermanson, where he was just caught with a submission last July. 
Uh, so his last win was all the way in 2018 against Jacare. He's taking on Ian Heinish and Kelvin Gastelum. Uh, the story of this fight was him utilizing a lot of takedowns, uh, closing the distance with, with Heinish. And I think with Heinish uh, relying a lot on his power and had clearly drilled these takedowns that he was ready to go for a Kimura every time, uh, but just not really having the right uh, leverage for to pull off any of these Kimuras. At one point, he had a Kimura while Gaslam had mounted him. Yeah, it, it, it was a bit unusual, uh, that position, because you'd think like, okay, you're not going to get the submission, at least use that to escape, shrimp out. But uh, no, he. I guess he thought maybe he could finish it. It was a uh, first two rounds, very clear rounds for Gastelum. The third was Heinish's best round. I still scored it for Gastelum, but uh, we, we did see Heinish uh, in this round able to reverse and take Gastelum's back. He got his hooks in, uh, but eventually lost it. And Gastelum ended up going six for 14 on his takedowns, uh, which doubles his previous high of takedowns in a fight, which he uh, scored three when he beat Uriah Hall for uh, the, in the tough final back in 2013. So Kelvin Gastelum got uh, the win, scores of 30-27, 29-28 twice. I had a 30-27. I thought uh, overall, like, not not the uh, not a fight of the night or anything like that, but I think um, an important performance for Gastelum just to get a win and showcase many areas of his game, in particular his wrestling, that he noted he has been doing a lot under uh, Benil Dariush. Yeah, I mean, he was working on his wrestling and he, he was mixing things up. And, and as the commentators alluded to, he he fought a very uh, experienced fight. He used all those, you know, those uh, last few years of losing to the best of the best uh, to his advantage. Whereas Ian Heinish, he was very game. He, he was competitive. He was in it throughout, but he was wild and didn't have... Uh, the finesse that uh, Gastelum had. And a huge back, as observed by Daniel Cormier. Massive. Massive back. Him and Bilal Bilal Muhammad. Ricky Simone versus Brian Kelleher. So they tried to put this fight together multiple times, and these are two bantamweights, and they decided, let's do it here at featherweight, because Simone had just fought on January 20th, so he turned around to fight uh, three and a half weeks later, uh, but would, was not going to be making it back down to 135. So instead, both fought at featherweight and probably felt a hell of a lot better this week than a typical week, cutting down to 135 or 136. And uh, Ricky Simone looked great in this fight. Uh, he was able to get Kelleher down multiple times. He busted him open early in the fight where uh, it was the, all the theories were being uh, – displayed in real time. Uh, John Anik thought this might have been a pre-existing cut, and then all of a sudden Simone squeezed and the cut exploded, uh, but it was turned out it was an elbow from the guard. And Kelleher was dealing with this throughout the fight. Uh, Kelleher's only bit of offense was uh, several front kicks that he landed in the second, but this was largely uh, Simone getting takedowns and then tons of pressure. He would not let Brian Kelleher uh, breathe at any point here, and it was... Uh, three rounds to none for Ricky Simone and Joe Rogan said this should be an easy win for him providing these judges are sane. It's always, you know, a toss up. <laughs> uh, Simone has also gotten rid of his mullet. 
That was noted here. That's disappointing. He said it might come back at the end of this. Okay. So uh, this was going to be one of the fights on the early prelims, but it got bumped up to the uh, the pay-per-view card at the end. So uh, this was uh, taking the spot of Jim Miller and Bobby Green. Maki Patolo and Julian Marquez. Uh, this was a very exciting fight. Uh, Maki Patolo is one and three in the UFC coming into this one, but he was coming off of uh, two losses, both taking place in August of last year. Okay, great. <laughs> a lot of fights in a month, Phil. It's very impressive. I mean, Julian Marquez. We just had Ricky opposite. Simone just had two fights in a month. So, I mean, well, it's, it's, I guess, it's old hat I guess at this point. <laughs> Julian Marquez, uh, he appeared on Dana White's Contender Series in 2017 and then had two fights in the UFC, has not fought since July of 2018. Uh, they were mentioning among his injuries, he, he tore his lat which is never fun. Have you ever done that, Phil? In, in no. jiu-jitsu, have you ever torn your lat? No, I've never torn my lat. I actually, I did have um, some really bad uh, persistent neck injuries for years that would be like a spasm un- beneath the lat and it was brutally painful, but it wasn't torn. I could get it treated with massage. What did you What did you do to treat that? Uh, yeah, just usually it would be massage therapy, uh, but over the long term, I realized it was related to like my work and my posture, so... I just sort of worked on that and stress. So. Oh, okay. How did how did you how did you correct your posture? I'm very curious. So, on, honestly, my posture is not great. It's it's more about just the habit of getting up and and walking around and just making sure that I stay okay. a- active and not just like constantly crouched over, hunched over type thing. Well, on that note, uh Maki Patolo and Julian Marquez, uh, there was a lot of uh, posture use here because they did stand for quite a bit of time here. Uh, but I tried. I tried. Uh, Maki Patolo was uh, able to go to the body early and then get the takedown. He was showing a lot of, uh, a lot of good wrestling in, in this fight as well. I had him winning the first two rounds. And then in the third, man, Julian Marquez was given the ultimate speech by James Krause in the corner. Pretty much. You go out there and you fucking stop this fight because you're down. You better end this. And it was like he put the fear of God in Julian Marquez, who came into this round and, dude, this guy was just headhunting. And he starts landing on Patolo. Patolo gets him down and he has a choke, but he loses it. And then Marquez drills him, lands a knee, and then catches him with a darse and submits Maki Patolo with... 43 seconds left in the fight. Patolo was well on his way to a decision victory here. So a huge come from behind win for Julian Marquez, who proceeded to cut the longest interview trying to promote this new hashtag he came up with called UFC Loud to find out the loudest city out there and then asked Miley Cyrus to be his Valentine. So this guy, this guy came prepared with like speeches, uh, requests, and got the victory. Well, he got the victory. I mean, it, it was it was a very eventful fight. I mean, it was action packed. I'm, I suspect this will be the fight of the night. Um, the speech between rounds was tremendous. I believe the exact quote was, "Hit him fucking hard and hit him hard as fuck." <laughs> <laughs> very technical. And now there was a moment in the third round when uh, Marquez is like throwing, and he just like 
punches him right in the nuts and uh the action doesn't stop and you know Pitolo keeps going but I'm pretty sure it it took a fair bit of wind out of him anyway the round kept going on it, it was an amazing round amazing fight uh the promo was weird I mean it was really weird it was, he had a- it was made more funny because afterwards Joe Rogan was like openly questioning if he had some like side deal to try and push this hashtag which was mm-hmm. funny because it was a ufc hashtag uh second, oh, it really uh, was it was a ufc hashtag no well like he he made this up but it was hashtag ufc loud so it's like there's not some like outside company anyway it was just silly it. but i yeah. think it was just julian marquez trying to came up with some wacky idea and hey sure um, you know what though i'll say this he had a lot of energy and a good presence in the interview. If the content was a little better, it could have been a really, uh, like, I don't want to say star making, but it would have been a really good opportunity for him. So I want to see this guy do a little bit better promo next time because I think he can. I will say on a roster that has 600 fighters, if you watch this card from the this guy singing along to Miley Cyrus as he walked to the cage, the performance, this come from behind win, and then this wacky speech afterwards, I will say you will remember who Julian Marquez is the next time he fights, which should be your goal if you are one of 600 fighters on the roster trying to carve out a bit of identity for yourself. They, they can't all be... Remember the name. It can't be uh, Bilal. Remember the name Muhammad and Julian. Remember the name Marquez and Kamaru. Put some respect on this name Usman. Like we have, we need some variety around this name. Well, Julian Marquez has an awesome nickname. He's the Cuban Missile Crisis. Which, which Brandon from New Jersey was quick to to adjust to the Cuban midlife crisis. Which I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe he's just projecting. Let's go. Uh, that might be uh, the best fight of the night, but I will say my favorite fight of the night was our featured prelim between Adolfo Vieira and Anthony Hernandez. Vieira, 2-0 and in the UFC. Uh, last competed in March of last year. He was a minus 490 favorite. This guy, a four-time BJJ world champion, seven-time World Cup champion, uh, Abu Dhabi champion. I mean, this guy is like the elite of the elite when it comes to grapplers that have transitioned to MMA. And one of those world championships was uh, an absolute world championship. So that's like a a no uh, weight class division. And then uh, the Abu Dhabi, if people are unfamiliar, that's a no-gi grappling competition. So like the level of this guy, as you just said, the highest of the highs when it comes to jujitsu. I I love when you get like the the cream of the crop of grapplers uh, coming into MMA because you don't know what's going to happen. But I just love the idea of this because immediately Vera takes him down and you're just basically counting down to doom for Anthony Hernandez. He finds himself mounted. And this is like it's like watching a shark play around with a fish that's what's happening here but then all of a sudden hernandez escapes from this rolling armbar attempt he gets slammed back down to the canvas and then suddenly gets back to his feet and he rocks Vieira with this giant shot and hernandez is the one going for submissions and he rocks Vieira multiple times this dude got his head flung back 
like uh like the head on a Pez dispenser. He was just getting lit up by Hernandez. I went 10-8 on this round, and it started where it was looking like Hernandez was not going to get out of the first 60 seconds. This was an unbelievable round. It was an unbelievable round. I was debating if I was going to go 10-8 on it. I did not go 10-8, but I did give it to Hernandez, of course, because it, it looked like he was on verge of finishing the fight. But there was enough from Vieira uh, early on. But yeah, the fight completely switched. Uh, Hernandez looked in so much trouble. And now all of a sudden, Vieira was gasping for air. Yes, uh, Vieira, I think, wearing the impact of these shots and looked, uh, you know, just spent in the second round. He gets onto Hernandez's back, but he's too high and gets shaken off. And Hernandez just follows with this brutal head kick, drills him with these elbow shots, and then locks on a guillotine. And Anthony Hernandez submits Adolfo Vieira, which, for those curious, Hernandez winning by submission plus 3,000. You could have bet a hundred bucks and won $3,000 if you had picked this outcome. This was unbelievable. A minute 53 of the second round, Anthony Hernandez. uh, This will be look great main event. Julian Marquez, uh, big come from behind win, but Anthony Hernandez is the guy (laughs) I will remember years from now with this fight. This was, uh, this was so fantastic. Uh, it really, it was a really fantastic fight. It was, it was a lot of fun. I mean, as, as a jujitsu practitioner, uh, myself, I, w- I was, you know, I want to see Vieira achieve the same level of success in MMA that he did in jujitsu. Uh, but, uh, all credit to Hernandez. What a, what a comeback. What a fight. Stayed in it the whole time. I mean, and you could even sense like when he was in bad positions, you know, he, he, he was prepared for that. And um, stayed poised and was calm as a cucumber and gave a little cool post-fight speech himself. Uh, Definitely a memorable performance. And uh, I don't know where you go from here with Vieira because I don't know how you correct that. That was that was pretty brutal. This was a very rough loss uh, for him. I mean, I'm sure he gets another uh, fight in in the UFC for sure. But this uh, certainly, I mean. It's you are adapting to a completely different sport when you're introducing striking as part of it. My question to you, Phil, is that I don't know what belt Hernandez would be ranked at, but what do you do after a win like this? Like, is this just do you just leapfrog? Like, what kind of what kind of progression? Like, is this like once you have this on your resume? That's it a great itself, qu- doesn't it? Uh, you know, that's a great question. That's a really great question, and I'll, I'll try not to. Uh, used too long on this. Uh, when I started jujitsu, what I liked about it was I liked the informality of it. I liked the idea that it's like, oh, you're a blue belt because you're tapping the white belts. You're, you're a purple belt because you're tapping the blue belts. And so theoretically, somebody could come in quickly, get promoted quickly because they're doing well. But then I realized something down the line training for years and years. You know, there's some people, they're never going to do that. You know, somebody might start at 60 years old and, and, uh, and, uh, they're never going to beat these guys, but they still should deserve a process to try to get their black belt if they're committed. So, um, I'm not as in favor anymore about promoting guys after wins, but, um, if there ever was a case, this would be the one. 
this would be the one because this is a world champion. You went in there, you went in there. I mean, you know, to go back in the like jujitsu and MMA history, you know, Valet Tudo, you just did a Valet Tudo fight and, and you, you won against the best in the world really at one point at this. So hats off to him and, uh, you know, give him any belts. Sure. For my money, the star of the show was Anthony Hernandez. Your star of the show, Bilal Muhammad, remember the name, versus Diego Lima, who, yes, uh, right away, Joe Rogan referred to Douglas and then corrected himself. The other Lima I, brother. I mean, uh, I've been worried. So, Diego. I'm, I'm just notorious for mispronouncing names, so I, that's all I'm worried about. I'm like, Diego, Diego, Diego. Not Douglas, Diego. Well, uh, Diego had not fought since October of 2019. During that time, he had neck and hand surgery. So making the return here. And uh, Muhammad is attacking him with straight lefts. And this was a fight where Bilal Muhammad was not going to let up at all with his strikes. And he was very economical as well. Like he would he would go to the head. He would go to the body. He was pressing Lima up against the fence and just taking away a lot of available options for Diego Lima in the first round. Uh, Muhammad outstruck him 47 to 18. And then in the second Lima's trying to fire off leg kicks, but it's still Muhammad just pressing on top of him. And Lima really is not able to offset any of this, even with the leg kicks into the third. It's more nonstop striking. Uh, Muhammad mixed in some elbows, some high kicks and, then got a takedown with a minute left. Like we just saw the full gamut here from Bilal Muhammad. He won 30-27 on all three judges' scorecards, and he has now won eight of his last nine fights. So a welterweight that does not give get enough spotlight, but someone that is I, I think also that comes down to the guys that he has fought. When you look at his last three going into this, uh Curtis Melender. Takashi Sato and Lyman Good. Uh, this a win over Diego Lima. I think next he has to be looking at the you know top top twelve, top ten guys. Um, so he he uh, did just uh, call out number twelve, which is um, the guy who just knocked Lee out Leon. That's that's right, and uh, I think that's an okay fight. Um, you're right; he's on a great streak. Um, he's he's sort of like. Kamaru Usman a few years ago. Nobody wants to fight this guy. He's a tough fight for everybody, and he's not a big name. And he, his, the, I think the biggest detriment to him is he hasn't been putting on super exciting fights, um, win or lose, uh, and losing is not, uh, too often. So, uh, I think that's been the toughest part. He hasn't gotten finishes. Um, so, um, if he can get a finish, maybe he can get some momentum going, but definitely one of the toughest guys in the division, somebody who doesn't get the respect he deserves. And, and yeah, we should remember the name Bilal Muhammad along with, so Bilal Muhammad make Diaz, that that's the fight to make. (laughs) Well, I mean, I don't think Nate's going to take that fight. Did you, I, I loved how they threw in, uh, Nate's name, the idea of uh, Nate taking a, a fight with Leon Edwards on four weeks notice on a fight night card. Well, you know, I was kind of surprised that Nate sort of took the bait. I mean, he didn't really take the bait on it, but he played it like normally he wouldn't respond to something like that. But he posted a little meme uh, of of uh, of it, you know, like who, who, who the F is that? Right. As if like, but uh, maybe to play it up. But yeah, yeah. Um, 
I mean, really, who was pitching it? That was Edwards who was pitching it, right? Yeah, just uh, you know, you gotta you gotta be realistic with your call, like like Bilal Muhammad. I mean, not not the not the most appealing call out in Lee Jing Liang, but is he gonna get that fight? I would say probably. Yes, yes. You got to weigh probability versus, uh, you know, your your ultimate want here. Pollyanna Viana versus Mallory Martin. This was a fight at uh, strawweight in the women's strawweight division. Uh, Viana went for a triangle. Then from there was going for the arm bar. She's landing elbows off her back. Martin tried to slam her off. uh, But uh, this is always like the pro wrestling escape from a triangle. You just lift them and slam them. Unfortunately, in most fights, uh, this is how it ends, is that you slam them down, and then it just locks in deeper. And that was the case here with Viana, who now fully had the triangle on, and then moved to a straight arm bar. Uh, to her credit, Mallory Martin was extremely resourceful here and fought through a lot, but in the end, she had to tap at 318 of the first round. And Viana had just moved... Uh, sorry, did I say this was... Yeah, she had moved to strawweight uh, two fights ago. So this was her second win in the division. Well, it was a very dominant win, a super impressive, uh, you know, jujitsu performance from start to end, which wasn't very long. Uh, she did have trouble finishing this triangle that she secured. And the reason why, and I was surprised that it wasn't mentioned on the broadcast is because on the side where you, uh, where the leg goes over top of the ankle, you'll see that connection point. You want the heel of your foot, the bottom foot, to be in front of the other person's shoulder, not behind their shoulder. Because when it's in front of their shoulder, you can dip down and make it tighter. And so she was never able to get to that point. And that's why she wasn't able to close the gap there. But a master at her craft, she found another opening. She found the arm bar and got the finish. Tremendous. And the televised portion opened with Andre Yule versus Chris Gutierrez. Uh, They went three rounds here. I had them splitting the first two. And in the third round, it was uh, Gutierrez just attacking Yule with his right hand and just piling on strikes. But the main weapon was his leg kicks. And it seemed that Yule had a target on his legs and just... Dude, Gutierrez, it was like batting practice on these legs. Like, he was just swinging wildly. Ewell's leg was just out there. He might as well put in a hit-me sign right next to his legs. They just got chopped away for five minutes in this last round. Uh, I thought this was a 10-8 round. I had Gutierrez winning 29-27. The scores were 30-26, 29-27, 29-28 for our 140-pound catchweight fight. Yeah, I had it uh, 29-28 for Gutierrez. Uh, I thought he looked really good. I mean, uh, Ewell was looking okay in the first round. Um, but yeah, Gutierrez, once he was able to find that leg kick, he was having trouble with the range in the first round. But once he was able to find it, he was able to take over and then had a really impressive third round. Uh, almost ended it, but uh, Ewell was able to hang in there. And Gutierrez got a really good win. I, I, I'm excited to see more of him. He, he I was pretty impressed with how he looked in there. And the main event, Gabriel Green defeated Philip Rowe by unanimous decision on the early prelims, uh, our lone early prelim fight. Uh, I will admit I missed this fight. Um, you know, it was a pretty good fight. Um, has been the case lately. You know, their openers have been uh, fairly good. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was the early prelim. That it was. So that was UFC 258. 
next weekend, it's uh, Curtis Blades against Derek Lewis. Uh, after that, we've got uh, Jarzinho Rosenstruck versus Cyril Gaon on February 27th. And the next time, Phil, you and I will reunite is in three weeks' time for UFC 259, three title fights. Are you yay or nay on the three title fight cards? Nay, nay, nay. First of all, I mean, selfishly, I it's just exhausting. It's a lot of these fight nights going long and covering it. I mean, it's a lot of fun, but we're working and it's I I just less five round fights. I would prefer, um, but uh, and also, and if an- you were to tell me that the what are the odds of these three fights going the distance? Because I can see. I don't think we're going to get that. I do. I do not see. I do not see Jan and Sterling going the distance. I hope Nunez and Megan Anderson does not go the distance because I think if it does, it will not be a very good fight. Blahovich no and Adesanya. I would say it's probably unlikely any of these three go the distance. To be quite honest, which pretty much assures us <laughs> that all three will go the distance. That I have officially jinxed this. My biggest. I, I think there's also the issue of like when you have all those champions on a card, who are you focusing on? Who are you showcasing? It sort of feels like we're at a point where Izzy should be the star of the show. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's tonight's great. card could have used like Jan and Sterling, like double up well, this one. It was supposed two... to be, it was, that was supposed to be on this card originally, but it had to get moved because of an injury. Oh, this one got moved. Yeah. So, so, you know, you know they can't all you know i i you know they're working around their schedule i'm not going to complain it, they're they're great fights um but it, in terms of promoting a star it's like you, you, somebody could get lost uh you know if sterling wins and is a new champion but izzy has some amazing performance that could get buried behind that so that that's the only drawback that i see an an, an additional drawback not the only one sorry I'm looking forward to the photo op, which is really what this card should have. They should have gone back to the naming convention conventions because we've got both men's champions here. We have the combination of Piotr Jan Blahovich. The tag team match. Could be. Um, also, dude, buried on this under this card, we've got on the prelims. This isn't even on the pay-per-view. Uh, Dominic Cruz is back to fight Casey Kenny. Yes. Joseph Benavidez is fighting Askar Askarov, which is going to be, I think, a tough fight for Benavidez. We will get a, we will get a look at where Benavidez is now, um, totally out of the title picture. Uh, and Islam Makachev is fighting Drew Dober. That is on the pay per view card. So of course, Islam Makachev. I mean, the like that has been the lightweight that has kind of been anointed as Khabib Nurmagomedov's successor in the weight class. Yeah, and uh, he didn't really get any action last year. I don't know if he had a single fight in 2020. Um, so I, I, I think I, I suspect we're going to see him a few times in 2021. This is going to be a year where he makes a push to get into that uh, title discussion. All right, uh, uh, we've got some. Do we uh, want callers. to take some phone calls. Yeah, yeah. So uh, actually, right now on the line, our first person is John Fury. 316. John, what's the bottom line on UFC 258? You know, I thought it was a good card considering it's sandwiched in between a Connor main event and a three title fight main, uh, next three weeks from now. Uh, 
I mean, I love the main event. I thought I thought Gilbert had Kamar in the first round when he dropped him. I thought if he maybe put a little bit more pressure, he might have been able to finish him. But overall, I thought it was a good card. Kamar Usman, I think, is just so dominant. I just hope we get, I'm hoping like May we get Kamar and Jorge Mazadal rematch. That'd be, I don't know, what do you guys think? I mean, that's, uh, I didn't hear the interview after, but Phil was saying like that was the name that Usman was throwing out there. I can certainly see it. Like if you're looking at what what is the biggest fight at welterweight we can promote, I mean, the fact is of the available options, uh, a rematch with Covington, a rematch with Masvidal or Leon Edwards. I mean, Leon Edwards would be the most deserving on that list, but he would also be a third place of those in terms of, I think, like maximum eyeballs that you're going to get onto that fight. And Masvidal would be the clear front runner there. So I could certainly see that logic and the story that they push that Masvidal had to take that fight on a week's notice. And this time he'll have a whole camp to prepare for Usman. Yeah. Cause I think a full camp with Masvidal, that's a dangerous fight for, for Kamar. If he has to fight that. And I, I mean, there's certainly we saw the, like, you know, uh, a high-level striker, I mean, that is something to deal with for Usman. I'm, I'm still heavily favoring Usman in the, in that rematch, but I, I certainly think, like, it's it's an interesting fight, but I, I feel that that's, um, yeah, it's, it, it's certainly an option and one that I can see a lot of reason to do. And, like, I know they're talking about Usman as, like, one of the greatest welterweights of all time, but I think it's time we start talking about him as the pound-for-pound greatest in the top five of all time. I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, top five of all time. Like, no, no. I, I think he means top five right now, pound for pound. Am I? Yeah, or, no, like I mean all time. Like Really? Yeah, 18, he said all time. 18 and one. 18 and one. He's got four. He's he's pretty much dominated the, the division. He's going to, at this point, he's at the point where he's going to start doing rematches with guys. I think you can, you can make a conversation that he's in the top five all time pound for pound list. Like at least fifth. You know what? You know what? John? I mean, he's had he's had some impressive victories. Uh, I think certainly um, there's certainly been like domination when it comes to like rounds one. I think that that is certainly uh, a feather in his cap. That when you go back and look at how many rounds he has also fought, given how many decisions he has had, it would be an astronomical number when you look at rounds fought versus rounds won. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd have to give it some thought about uh, all time. He's he's approaching that level. I think that that's certainly an argument to make where his placement would be. Um, yeah, you, you'd have to really examine all the candidates. Uh, one more thing. Uh, what's I? Maybe you may know this. What's April looking for UFC? I haven't heard anything about a main event. Could you see a Connor Poirier the, the the trilogy for that fight? Not that early. I don't. I don't see April happening for that. I mean, they're they're targeting the summer, which I mean, we'll see. We'll see if that is ultimately the fight that is made. I think that's clearly the direction that the UFC wants to go in. If and Phil, I want to bring this up to you that this was uh, a talking point this week from Dana White was the idea of Connor and Dustin, but it would not be for the title. Can can I play off that for a second? What? Why is you know, Khabib has said he does not want to hold up the division. And it seems like Dana is the one holding up the division. You guys have any theories about why that's like he's just not willing to strip the title? I mean, at this point, from all I've heard is Khabib is done with with fighting. And yet, 
for some reason. Yes, you, you have still... heard that from Khabib. This is this is who you've heard it from. The man who said, I am done. Um, so, yes, it is Dana White holding up the division because I think he believes that ultimately he will be able to convince Khabib to do one more fight, which he feels is the biggest fight that he can make. It's having Khabib as one half of it. So I think that is that is the thought process, but it is at the risk of keeping this division on hold, which is ultimately, can they get away with it? For the most part, they can. But I think in the case of Connor and Dustin, those are the two that I, I have a hard time imagining these guys are going to be willing to fight without a championship at stake, uh, especially for a Dustin Poirier. I don't know how you sell that fight to Dustin unless you make such an offer that the financial reward for such a fight offsets the fact that we aren't fighting for a title, which the idea of putting this title on ice, um, I don't know. It's it's kind of perplexing. Well, Dana did sort of allude to something that they don't normally do. Is that He said, you know, Oliveira should fight Gaethje, I think he said, or Chandler. Gaethje's out of the equation, apparently. So Oliveira should fight Chandler, and then Connor should fight uh, Poirier, and it, he almost alluded to like a mini tournament, which is something that the UFC never does. That would be actually kind of cool. But didn't Olivia, or sorry, I butchered that name, turn down two fights already? And that's like a no-no in UFC when you turn down two fights? You know what? Dana was asked about that, and he gave the most uh, un-Dana answer ever. He said, he said, I totally understand why he wouldn't want to take a short notice fight. He said he wanted a full camp and that makes perfect sense. So I don't know if Dana was inhabited by somebody else or something, but uh, it seems like they're okay with him at least taking a bit of a break. Um, all right. Thanks for thank- the call, John. Th- thank you very much, guys. Thank all right. you. All right. So next up we have Jason Hag home. Jason, let me unmute you. You are live. Hey, what's what going on, guys? One sec. Let me plug my headset. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I thought this was a interesting show. Like, I thought the main event once again uh, delivered. Uh, Usman's on the verge of like a GSP level right now. I, I still wouldn't go in the greatest of all time. I think he needs a couple more wins, but he is putting on the the level of talent up there where he can get in that running, but he's on the verge of like a hall of fame level career. But all in all, I mean, I thought this pay-per-view was okay. Uh, I mean, a good win for Calvin Gastelum and nice to see, you know, some emotion, especially after the, you know, three uh, year hiatus from uh, getting a win. Ricky Simone looked good. Juliana, Julian Marquez, uh, win was really impressive considering he was on the verge of that uh, decision loss. And then, you know, that's going to do a good bump for his podcast with Kendra Lust. But what a bizarre promo. Um, I don't know. I guess just going, you know, obviously you guys were doing this. Hold show. on, hold on. What did, wait, wait, did you just say Julian does a podcast with Kendra yep. Lust? Yeah, they they host a podcast together. They are quite good friends and it's a pretty popular podcast. It does get a lot of traction. How does that not m- get mentioned on air? Because Julian's out there marketing hashtag Kansas City and, and uh, Arrowhead Stadium and all these things, those weird hashtags. But a very Ultimate Warrior-like promo from uh, one Julian Marquez. But right. uh, I was going to just say, uh, you know, there's a, a thing I guess I should ask the both of you. As Cub Swanson put out a tweet yesterday that 
members of the media should have at least three fights. And there's been some, you know, intelligent conversation, especially from Cub and, and Mike Heck of MMA Fighting. But uh, as you guys were doing the show, Dana subtweeted the tweet, I stand with Cub Swanson. So uh, what are your thoughts on that? And uh, yeah, all in all, and uh, I guess if anyone's interested, uh, no one apparently streamed tonight. Uh, Dana was going for another guy, but uh, no streaming from him. <laughs> all right. Thanks for the uh, questions, uh, Jason. Um, do you want to answer that, John, first? Uh, I, I don't really have too much thought to it. I think it... I think it ultimately would depend on kind of what is what is your role in kind of the media function. Like I I I don't believe in the idea that someone has to be uh uh a fighter or have to go through numerous fights to be a reporter. I think that you can have uh, a level of it, it depends on what your job is. I would say like if you were an analyst, I think it would be of great benefit. I mean, I, I trained for a long time and I found it to be a great benefit to be able to to do it and, and apply uh, just learning hands-on with it. I had no aspirations of being a fighter, uh, nor nor did I feel it was necessarily a requisite for the job, but I just thought it was uh, a great tool to have as well. And if uh, that's kind of where I stand on it, but I, I've never had the belief that you know, you have to be uh, of a certain level uh, that that somehow translates to a media role. Like that's, you're, you're not, you're not opening a training academy. You know what I mean? It's, uh, I don't know. I, I've always seen it as very distinct, but I can understand where there is a value to it. I would never shy someone away from doing it. That it is going to give you a certain perspective as well, actually doing it and training. It's certainly not going to hurt. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think you you said it really well. I, I don't have any disagreement with anything uh, you said. I, I think it's a kind of a bit of a ridiculous notion. Uh, I'm glad to hear that the discussion around it is positive, uh, or at least civil. Um, but like, you you can be a critic of a lot of things, and you don't have to be uh, an actual practitioner in those things. Um, I, I do think it would be useful to have, uh, you know, learn a little bit of all of the disciplines to go to a referee, uh, instructional. There's a ton of things that members of the media could do to improve their coverage, but I don't think learning how to fight is a prerequisite. Uh, it might help them, you know, be a little bit more respectful. I, I think sometimes people in the media, are disrespectful to fighters the the treat fighting is not the same as other sports and when somebody gets knocked out and it, it, it it's not the same as losing a basketball game so um i that that i can understand is frustrating to a lot of fighters but i i don't think that means that uh that you know journalists need to start going to you know mma classes but is it necessarily the the journalists that are and i'm sure there's uh exceptions but when you're talking about like mocking fighters that have been knocked out, is that something that is really prevalent among journalists or fans? Well, maybe that's not the right, but you know, there's pundits, you know, think about somebody like a Stephen A. Smith type character, right? Who's just like this television pundit who's out there, you know, making proclamation, you know, what he said about Donald Cerrone, right? Like he really, like how Donald Cerrone, whatever, quit in there. Or like, I, I, I think that there 
is a, a there's a disrespect that even some of the most high level uh media members uh they don't afford uh fighters the level of respect they deserve sometimes um but again i don't think that that's necessarily going to be even corrected with some martial arts training um yeah all right so i think we have uh one more call and what would it be without a trip to New Jersey, Brandon? How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing well. How about you guys? Great! We're, uh, congratulations! We're First win in three years. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I I just want to thank uh, my sponsors. <laughs> uh, no, no, you gotta pay the sponsor tax if you're gonna thank them. That's right. That's right. Um. Remember struggling with Dolfo uh, Vieira and uh, and uh, Fluffy Hernandez. Uh, remember when uh, remember when Couture submitted Tony and they threw a black belt at him after the fight? <laughs> shouldn't shouldn't Fluff's corner have done that for him? Uh, I, it could have been from Target or 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 Best Buy or something like that. Just throw a random black belt, give it to the guy, right? Randy, Randy should have got his golden gloves after the Tony fight. <laughs> That's right. Ah, <laughs> uh, but. I mean that, that's like that's I I don't want to call that fight a fluke, but I mean especially with the submission and you're submitting like a 19 time like champion in, in jujitsu. <laughs> but uh, well, look, I the mean, submission that's... wasn't a like oh he caught him with some creative thing. The guy was like half dead in there, so right, right from I... from his strikes. I no, mean, no, 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 was, like, I no, mean... no, no, like no, 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 no. No, it was he earned the win. I'm not trying to diminish the win. I'm just like. He didn't out jujitsu him, you know. That's not what I, happened. I, I mean, you get the lactic acid monster caught up to Dolph the Dolph the air, right? That's right. Uh, but but uh, I mean, what do you, uh, Muhammad? Uh, I I mentioned this in the Discord, but uh, I, I would love to see him fight uh Chimaev. Like, what, what you, I mean, the battle of the prospects, test each other. What do you think about that? Um, I, I, I think right now um, the immediate concern is how significant uh, these issues are that Chimaev is dealing with to the point that, I mean, he's still, for those that did not uh, hear about it, like the reason his fight with Leon Edwards is off is lingering effects from COVID that, I mean, he had months ago. So that sounds like it's, it's hit him significantly. I mean, he hasn't offered specifics about what exactly uh, has impacted him, but uh, that, that's slightly concerning as well. Um, it's, it's certainly, um, you know, hurt his momentum. But uh, in theory, if he's healthy, um, I I think the fact that they have already targeted him for a fight with Leon Edwards, I see them positioning him a lot higher than Bilal Muhammad. Like, it seems like they want to get Chimaev right into the mix because they're probably looking at their contenders that, like, the idea of Chimaev winning against a Leon Edwards, I think he'd be the next in line at that at that point. So, um, it, it comes down to what welterweights are available. Um, but you know, if he's, if he's on the sidelines for a while and then it's, you know, this kind of buzz has worn off, then he may find himself fighting someone uh, a lot lower ranked than a Leon Edwards. Okay. When he was partying with, uh, uh, Kadyrov in, uh, in, uh, in Chechnya when he had with COVID, uh, but, uh, be that as a may, uh, one more thing, uh, uh, Curtis Blades has already got a takedown uh, already, <laughs> and the fight hasn't started yet. And uh, what do you think of the, uh, the Bellator uh, light heavyweight tournament coming up, in? especially my man, uh, 
uh, Dove Yagamashir off uh, Underdog in a tournament. What are your thoughts on that? I think it, I think I, I'm I'm very nostalgic about the uh, Belter. It reminds me of the Strike Force days on the uh, on Showtime. It's got a big fight feel to it. Uh, I'm pretty excited about it. What do you guys think about that? Not here. Well, as a as a fellow Canadian, Brandon, we, uh, you can't watch it yet. <laughs> as as of now, there's no Canadian broadcaster for Bellator. You're right. So. It's, it's GeoBlock, so we got to get get a uh, uh, VPN uh, data. So Dana and a uh, Scott Kroger won't bust us. Yeah, maybe maybe Bellator will strike a deal with the Discord. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Phil is your host. Uh, thanks for the call, Brandon. We'll answer uh, as I put you on mute. So, yeah, what's your thoughts on the Bellator tournament? And then I'm, I actually do want to give my thoughts on this as well. Yeah, I think that this whole deal is a massive, um, a massive upgrade for Bellator. I think they had so fallen out of... Like, we're kind of in this bubble, so we're paying attention to Bellator and following it. But I just think on a larger scale, like, Bellator had completely fallen off the radar uh, from even even during the, the, the Paramount Network days, which were not all that long ago. CBS Sports Network, I don't think, like, we weren't even getting ratings uh, for that. And just this move to Showtime, it just seems like it was a lifeline for them. I guess the bigger question is what what the D the details of this deal are financially for Bellator, because um, you know, the, the zone deal was such a giant one for them. And it looks like that is now uh, a thing of the past, but I love the Grand Prix. I think that they, so, some of the signings they made, I think that it's, it made perfect sense to go with your 205 pounders for this particular Grand Prix. And you've got, I think, I think a lot of inter- interesting names and I, I think a fairly intriguing fight in Yoel Romero and Anthony Johnson that I'm curious to see how much buzz they can uh, grow for that fight by the time they fight in April. Yeah. So for the last two years, I've been like really shitting on Bellator really hard for having no direction, no ability to promote their events and just being completely just like, I don't know, in limbo. And uh, I seemed like it was going to continue with this switch to whatever this new network was that thankfully isn't going to happen. And so I was glad to see that Bellator has a plan for the year and they're going to be on Showtime, a partner in combat sports, people who know something about combat sports. Does that mean we're going to see Mauro Ranallo return? Are we going to improve the broadcast team? Uh, so, uh, I'm excited for that. Uh, I think the tournament's a good idea. The problem with the previous tournament they had is it carried on. You didn't know when the events were going to have. They have a schedule here. Hopefully they can adhere to it. And so I, I do want to say for the first time in a long time, things are looking a lot better for Bellator. Congratulations to them. Thank you, Bellator. And for once, I'm not shitting on them. Yeah, and they're coming back. So they're not going to do any cards until April 2nd. And that night they're doing the semifinal of the Featherweight Grand Prix that they still have to wrap up. And that's going to be Patricio Pitbull versus Emmanuel Sanchez, which is a rematch from a few years back. And then the winner of that fight's AJ McKee. And either way, it's a great fight. But if it ends up being Pitbull, which I think most would favor, against AJ McKee, like that's a legitimate huge fight among two pretty well like homegrown bellator stars like i think that could be a very big fight uh for bellator and then you've got this light heavyweight grand prix that it seems bellator has at least i think invested in some 
uh, much needed momentum for the company. Will it will it play out? Will it will it fall apart? We'll see. But I I do think they have at least grabbed the attention of the MMA world for these series of announcements. And and hopefully it means that there will be interest uh, sustained beyond just the initial shows. Yeah, I think so. There there always seems something off about you know Bellator on Spike Paramount, right? Like it was trying to recreate the 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 this. It was trying to recreate the UFC of yesteryear, right? By bringing Mike Goldberg and and uh, Chael and um, John McCarthy in, right? It's like it's just like all these old familiar faces, and it's just it feels like this might and and look. Romero is certainly somebody coming from the UFC, Machida, uh, and, um, Rumble Johnson too. But, but Rumble's a, somebody who would, if he was in the UFC right now, he'd be in a title shot very quickly. So, um, I think this is a great step forward for Bellator. And for the first time in a long time, I, I don't have a cynical attitude towards what they're doing. Yeah. I, I think, especially for us though, especially the last number of years, it's been very difficult to follow Bellator in Canada. Uh, like, I don't know how many people were necessarily signing up for DAZN if all you were seeking out was Bellator. And like broadcast wise, I mean, back when before Spike got flipped over to the Paramount Network, like it went from like a priority spot on your on your cable to like it was way up in the hundreds or so. It's been very difficult to follow Bellator in this country. So Scott Coker has alluded to the fact that they're hopeful of having a deal in place. They're talking to several outlets here in Canada. I hope it is something sustainable in Canada that is not a something where you don't have to ask the Canadian consumer to have to go sign up for something in order to watch Bellator. Like I hope it is a fairly fan-friendly deal that they can make in Canada that just makes the cards more accessible to people. I agree. I, 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 I would definitely like a lot more easy ass access uh, for getting Bellator. Hey, do we have time for one more call? Real quick Let's one? Let's do one more and then we'll wrap yeah, it up. Yeah, and then we'll wrap it up. Stepite, you are live. Do you have a quick question for us? Oh, you disappeared. Stepite, you ran away. So I'm sorry. That's that's it. Then no more calls. The Bellator talk did him in. So <laughs> that's you, that's Stepite. Uh, Yes, covered a lot on this show. Thanks to everyone for tuning in live or downloading the podcast after the fact. The numbers count no matter what. So thank you to all. Mr. Chair Talk and I are going to be back on Saturday, March the 6th after UFC 259. Might be a very late night, Phil. We will we will find out. It will be uh, three title fights uh, coming your way. And we will have a recap of UFC 260. But uh, what else is going on, Phil? Um, well, not much. I mean, this week we had a Discord game night and it was a great success. Our room was at capacity. Uh, and so that that was really exciting. Um, and so I just encourage everybody to join the Discord, participate, keep the conversation going after the show is off the air. I mean, we have talks on MMA, wrestling, TV, movies, gaming. Uh, we have pictures of your pets. And also myself and uh, Jordan Goodman of the wellness policy of the post show will be having a conversation on meditation later in the month. I think uh, we'll be announcing oh. more. Yeah, we'll be having an announcement 
on that next week. Uh, I believe the wellness policy has an episode next week. And yeah. so, and so that, uh, I have a feeling will be, will be discussed then. So check out the wellness policy next week and join us on Discord in the meantime. Do all of that stuff, postwrestling.com. That'll take you to everywhere, including the Discord. So on behalf of the Lord of the Cord, I am John Pollock, and thanks for listening to the UFC 258 Post Show. Gina! Gina! No one wants to wear Gina!